We've been considering next generation leadership. The letter, Paul's second letter to Timothy, the letter to a young man who is just beginning his career and he's thinking about what it is he can do for God. How is it he can build the church? How is it he will take initiative for the sake of the mission, the mission of the kingdom of God? And uh, there are some issues here, and the issues are surfaced because the Bible doesn't flinch. It doesn't hold anything back. It, it talks about things very directly. So Timothy apparently has some inhibition about taking the gauntlet, about, about taking leadership, about thinking through uh, stepping up to responsibility. And uh, partly that's his personality, I think. Timothy has some timidity. I don't know if those two words are related, but Paul challenges him to move past that and past the fears and anxieties that that all of us feel in some way or another, no matter who we are, even those of us that are a little bit more brash and outgoing. We have our own fears as well. Timothy does. But secondly, I think there's something culturally going on that happens in lots of cultures and lots of places in the world. Timothy says, well, you know, I... I do feel a call, and I do have some passion, and I know I have some gifts and some skills, but I'm not old enough. I'm not sure I'm going to be accepted. I don't think a person at my age can have authority. Have you ever thought that? When I get older, when I achieve something, when I have enough experience, when I reach a certain age, then perhaps you know, I'll be eligible for this. But that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. In fact, the role model of the ideal Christ follower is who? A little child. You know, someone innocent, someone trusting, someone who's full of wonder, someone who's willing to give their whole life for something they believe in because they're childlike. And you can stay childlike even though you get older and you age. In fact, I would ask you to do this. Continue aging. That's a suggestion. Continue aging, never get old. All right? That's my mantra. Keep on aging. You don't really have a choice. But don't get old. Don't get stale. Don't get cynical. Don't give up on something new and powerful and even miraculous happening. And Timothy, young man that you are, what is he, in his 20s? We don't know. 20s or 30s, something like that. Timothy, Paul himself has laid hands on you and confirmed that you've got it. It hasn't been developed yet. That's going to take some time. But you've got it, so dive in. And so Paul's word to Timothy is this. We looked at this in the first chapter of this uh, second letter of Paul to Timothy. The first uh, word to him is um, the gift of God in you. That was our first message. God has put a gift in you. Now fan the flames. You've got a gift. There's something there in kind kind of latent form. It's kind of early. It's kind of undeveloped. Fan the flames of your fledgling faith. That sounds like a preacher talking, doesn't it? Fan the flames of your fledgling faith. That's 4F. And uh, that sincere faith that is in Timothy, it's sincere. It is childlike in all the right ways. Now, now make something out of this. Start to live by faith. And by the way, faith and reason are not imposed. In case anybody's out there thinking, well, I don't live by faith. I live by reason. I'm a reasonable person. Um, If you start with faith, faith will give you reasons to continue following this one who is God. He will continue. He will supply. Believe me, he will reward you. He will confirm. He will prove himself. So if you begin with faith, a leap of faith, or in a recent book called 
the faith of leap, because faith takes leaps. And they seem often irrational, because you have to kind of start before you have enough reason. You'll get reason along the way. So faith often gets us started, and then we take the leap, and then we find the reasons. Or you can start with the reasons. You can sit back and say, God, show me. I need a little encouragement to move. And God doesn't mind giving you reasons. Jesus makes the case in front of a skeptical audience and says, listen to this teaching. Watch these miracles. Um, take in the, 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 the compassionate way that I treat people. And people did watch. And people were impressed. And people did ultimately surrender because they had reason to. Faith and reason are allies. That's the way it works in our world. If you claim that you will always operate by reason, first of all, you'll be so conservative. You won't do anything that you haven't already proven which means you won't take a move, which means ultimately you'll be, you'll be paralyzed. We're actually locking people out of church today because we don't want anybody else to come in. If you're not here on time, forget it. We're not going to let you in. Sorry about that. Maybe we should try that, though, at a certain time. What do you, what do you think? So, the gift of God that is in you. The purpose of God for you. That was the second message. Also in chapter 1. The pur- what is the purpose of God for you? Well, the purpose of God is to rescue you, to deliver you out of all this stuff. And we don't have to go over that, do we? Because you know your own stuff. But the purpose is not just to help you survive and help you get back to you know, a level playing ground. The purpose of that is to set you up for what Paul calls a holy life. A life set apart for God's purpose. I don't know how that sounds to you. Does sound like, oh, I'd have to get religious. No. No, I hope you never do get religious. Not in the way you're thinking about it. I hope that you find your purpose. Because you were designed for something. God made you for something. And you know that intuitively. And if we're not on purpose, we get bored, we get stressed, we get weary. I don't mind working hard if I'm going somewhere, if I'm on purpose. If I'm working hard and we're not going anywhere, I get tired real fast. I get exhausted when I feel like my energy is just dissipating. But when I'm on purpose, God says, I have a purpose for your life. And this purpose, by the way, is your privilege. It's your privilege to be living in the center of God's will. It is. The gospel of God entrusted to you. This gospel, this good news, it says what? Well, again, going back to chapter 1. The gospel is death has been destroyed. At the cross and by the resurrection, death has been destroyed. Yes, it's a great enemy, but that enemy has been defeated. You can count on that. You can personalize that because of what Christ has done. And life has come to light because of the gospel. You didn't know what living was before God showed you in terms of what he intends for you, in in terms of the abundance of this life, this new life he has for you. And then today we come into chapter 2. The grace of God invested in others by you. You see how all this is, bu- this is building? The grace of God invested in others by you. Yes, you, Timothy, male or female version of Timothy, younger generation, invested in others by you. An investment that pays off kingdom dividends, that changes people's lives and changes your life as well. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, the first seven verses. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please, please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. The grace of God. How often do we use that term? How often do we sing that word? How often do we hear a sermon preached on the grace of God? I know it's rattling around in your head. Is it getting into your heart? And is it, is it the quality that characterizes your everyday experience? So I'm going to take another shot at trying to explain what grace is. According to the New Testament, according to our experience as we take God seriously when he offers us this amazing grace. So what is it? I wonder how you would define it. In fact, just sit there for a moment and say, if somebody asks you, what is this grace? I hear that word. I heard it in church. I read it in the Bible. I heard somebody singing about it. There's that song, Amazing Grace. You know, I'm listening to Jenny sing that song. Where did she go? She just left the room here. Oh, she's in the back. You just dart around the room like sit wherever you want to sit. So, so Jenny's singing Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me. And I go, Jenny's not a wretch. Is she a wretch? Does she look like a wretch to you? Well, she doesn't to me. But I bet, there, I bet she has her wretched moments. If you never have a wretched moment or can never admit it or never face it or never acknowledge your need, you don't get this grace. Because you don't need this grace. What is this grace? Jenny, that was just purely spontaneous. Because I was thinking how unlikely it would be that Jenny would be singing this song. I should be singing that song. Well, no, I shouldn't. We don't want to clear the room. <laughs> Amazing grace. It begins with, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to unfold this for a moment. I want you to take this in. If you wanted to take notes, I wouldn't be offended. So grace is, first of all, generosity. I mean, look at creation. Look at all that God has made for us. What a spectacle. And some of us study it. Some of us um, um, pour ourselves into it. And some of us try to protect it. And many of us just take it for granted. And the height of what God has done, according to the Scripture, is this human species that he has created, where he has imprinted his image on the people around us. How often do we take each other for granted? Are you amazed at the person sitting next to you? Yeah, sometimes you are for other reasons. But this person sitting next to you is amazing, amazingly made, I mean, physiologically and chemically, and, but amazing in their personality and amazing their capacity, and amazing their gifts, amazing in all these ways. God's generosity is, all, is, is the beginning of our understanding. If we take that in, it's the beginning of our understanding of his grace. But secondly, let's get real personal now. His acceptance of you, his full acceptance of you right where you are, you wretch. With whatever you've done, with whoever you are, with whatever flaws, with whatever problems, with whatever sin and shame and guilt, he loves you. He's made a decision to love you. And he's not loving you because you're worthy. You're worthy because he's decided to love you. 
And he's given you that value. He instilled, that's grace. That's pure grace. Now, somebody sitting out there listening to this going, that's kind of insulting to me. I think I've worked hard to impress God. I think he should be impressed. Um, I don't think you want to go there. I, I, don't, I really don't think you want to go in that direction because if you start in that direction, and that's, by the way, what religion will encourage you to do, get in front of God, show him what you've got, make sure he doesn't see the other stuff, and hope that you can make it through whatever criteria this perfect, holy God might lay on you. That's not a winning proposition. But to fall on your knees and ask for his mercy. To say, can it be that you would possibly love me the way I am? That's grace. That's what you want. That's what you need. And that's what he's offering. And that's amazing. And then thirdly, the calling on your life is grace. He's called you. He has something for you to do. Have you figured that out yet? Do you have any clues? Do you have any hints? That's why we as a community come together. We're a community of grace that are helping to equip and call and and, and confirm what people are, are to be doing with their lives. And so when I see something happening in you that benefits or potentially benefits others, I need to let you know what I see. And you ultimately have to make a decision about that. Are you going to respond to God's grace in that call? And then he's given you very specific gifts. He's giving you a capacity in a variety of ways. And there's a moment when you get to use that gift. That's probably the most explicit use of the term, gift. That's a gift coming from God's grace, and it ultimately powers you to become an expression of that grace to other people because it isn't all about you. The fact that God makes it about you means that you can relax your own self, your anxious self-concern. And say, Lord, you are taking care of me. You have provided this wonderful life and this wonderful place and all that you've given to me. And these gifts that I have now, I want to fulfill my calling and I want to be an example of an expression of your grace. That's grace. And I know a lot about grace this week. You know what I know that you don't know? Is I have a new granddaughter this week. I predicted it last Sunday, and lo and behold, I'm correct. I must be a prophet. Little Natalie Faith Stevens was born Tuesday morning in Austin, Texas. Nancy, my wife, is there. Grandma is there having all the fun while I slave away out here in the Bay Area. And this beautiful little girl, I've seen the pictures. I've even heard her voice over the phone. She said, Grandpa. Get here now. I'm coming. I'm coming as fast as I can. And uh, to look at that picture and to imagine that miracle and to talk to uh, Isela, my son's wife, before and after delivery, 24 hours of labor, amazing grace. (laughs) And um, to see the picture and to hear my son's voice and the pride in his voice, the healthy human pride in his voice that having a little daughter and uh, by the way I now have a granddaughter and in my family as part of my flesh and blood who is one half Anglo and three quarters Latina 
and one quarter Chinese. Let's hear it. I'm multicultural all by myself. Look at our family. Okay, I'm more a part of GRX than ever now. That whole multi-ethnic thing, I'm, I'm there. I'm the poster boy for that because of this little girl, little, little Natalie, the grace of God. I've got it. I mean, I'm really celebrating all week, let me tell you. But I had a lapse. I have to admit, I have to, I have to be honest. I had a lapse this week as well. We have new neighbors that have moved in next door. And uh, Nancy went over and met them, and I haven't met them yet. I mean, they just moved in last week. And I'm thinking, this is going to be great. We're going to get to know these folks and uh, going to have a chance to, to, sh- to share with them and, you know, love them and, and uh, you know, get to know them and all about them. They've got little kids, apparently. And, and I woke up one morning to their dog barking. My grace went out the window for a few minutes as a little resentment began to build. By the way, you cannot, grace and and resentment cannot coexist. They cannot. Resentment will crowd grace out, and grace will banish resentment because you can't afford to complain when you are celebrating. When something goes wrong, you figure out what to do about it. You ask God for help to deal with it. You don't sink down into that sort of critical spirit. But I did. But not for long. You know what's great? is I have to preach on grace occasionally. And it reminds me of what I know is true so that I get to right myself and correct myself and and get back to where I need to be. So I am. Do I need to love the dog too? If for their sake I do, then I will. And God made this dog. And he can also make him be quiet which I'm hoping and praying for. But it can't depend upon that. Once, once again, I'm held hostage by circumstances and barking dogs. Do you want to be held hostage by things like that that go on in your life, that go on at your work, that go on sometimes even in your own home? No, you don't. You want to live by grace. So what does this grace do? This grace strengthens us. Be strong in the grace of the Lord. Be strong in the grace. You can't be strong by yourself. You can't be. It's impossible. And don't just detach the grace and admire it as some ideal. No, be strong in this grace. Be strong like a soldier is strong, who endures hardship, Paul says. And notice there's a little reward at the end. Your commanding officer will be pleased with you. You know that God looks at his children and says, with you I am well pleased. My beloved son, my beloved daughter, I love you so much, and I see what's coming here, and I'm so pleased with this relationship that has begun. If it has begun, if you have made that choice to give into, to surrender to the grace of God, and why would you want to fight it? We do. We do resist it. We have our pride. But once we give in, wonderful things begin to happen. Endure hardship. You can endure hardship like a soldier because pleasing your commanding officer like a soldier, Paul's using that image, is all that matters. And uh, compete like an athlete. We've just gone through the Olympics. The amount of work it takes to be an outstanding athlete, an outstanding musician, um, outstanding in your field, whatever your chosen field is. It takes work. It takes practice. It takes sacrifice. So be strong. Be willing to sacrifice for this grace. 
Because the end result is so worth it. The wreath, the the gold medal, whatever it is. And again, this is just an analogy for something that that is so much higher than that. This is the very pleasure of God. This is the very glory of God we're talking about. This is our own joy is wrapped up in this. And then... The farmer. I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten the poor farmer. Can you imagine that? Where would we be without the farmers? The farmers who often do their work invisibly. They do it out in the valley. I get to work out in the valley sometimes and I see people working incredibly hard out there, bent over, stoop labor, picking strawberries that I buy on the cheap. The hard working farmer who deserves a share of the crop. What's our crop? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of our investment in other people and watching other people come alive and wake up to the fact that they're loved by God and that there's something worthwhile in them that they not only get affirmed about, but they get to offer. Work hard because be strong in this grace that comes through Jesus Christ. Tonight, I was scheduled to fly to Haiti. Tonight, scheduled to fly to Miami, specifically, and tomorrow morning from Miami to Port-au-Prince. Yesterday, the flight was canceled because of the storm that's cutting across the Caribbean and hit Haiti yesterday. I'm extremely disappointed. Um, But then Grace talks me out of my narcissism and says, no, it's not about you, whether you're going or not. I was going for a full week. I was going with my friend, another pastor, and we're going to do a week-long seminar there with several hundred pastors. I've done it twice before. I love doing this. I love being there. I get so much from them, and it got canceled. But what's happening, of course, is poor Haiti is suffering yet again. This is the worst storm since the earthquake two and a half years ago. And uh, because it's Haiti, um, a storm of any proportions does terrible damage. Uh, There's no infrastructure. Uh, There's no ground cover. Uh, There's no hills. There's no trees on the hills. And so when the rain comes down 20 inches worth in 24 hours, it just comes all the way down and it becomes a mudslide. And uh, there are 400,000 people living in tents. Um, That's better than it was. It was 1.8 million. And here are two pictures that have come just from yesterday that uh, I, I picked up. Um, because of the, of, of the flooding, the horrible flooding. So we were canceled because our flight was canceled, and we were also canceled by our host pastor who said, you can't get around in Haiti right now, so don't come. Come later. Fortunately, my friend, the other pastor, is going a week, going next week, and he's able to go, and I'm not because of some commitments I have. And I was, as I was thinking about going to Haiti, I knew I was going to Haiti right after a storm. It was going to be hard work. It's always hard in Haiti. In August, the, uh, the, the, the temperature is brutal. The humidity is brutal. And then there was going to be this flooding and this mud. And I'm thinking, does God think I can't do this? Is that why he canceled me? Why did this happen this week? I could go to Haiti any other week, but this week I couldn't get there. I don't know the answer to that question. Sometimes the ways of God are mysterious for me. But I know his grace still abounds. We're praying for Haiti. I'm going to ask you to join me in praying for Haiti, for Pastor Gilbert, who is our key connection with hundreds of pastors. Would you pray for him? If you would, would you pray and fast 
Would you fast one meal this week? And uh, I'm going to take a risk here and say that I want to um, suggest that our benevolent offering next week that we take at the first Sunday of every month as we, as we leave the service, our second offering, which goes to local needs. I realize our chairman is sitting down here who makes all these decisions along with the leadership team. And uh, the worst he can do is fire me. But uh, I want to suggest that that offering, because I, I know of a place where it can do a lot of good. And so perhaps you would, you would consider that with me next week. Because I think, this, I think grace always needs to have legs on it. It needs to go to work. It needs to be strong. It needs to make a difference. And we need to show that, in fact, this grace is getting into us. So if we would pray and fast and give, um, that would be an amazing thing. And we get to do that all the time in lots of places. And when we do it, though it might be technically a sacrifice, you know, to give up food or to give up a few dollars, if you're... On this course, if you're taking grace seriously, if it's building some momentum in your life, you don't think about the sacrifice. You think about all the benefits as grace is multiplied. This grace is meant to be a movement. And Timothy, you know, becomes aware of that as Paul describes this movement of this amazing grace. Um, He talks about... uh, He talks about Paul being the mentor, the original. That's the first generation. But it isn't just about Paul and what happens to Paul. Paul had an amazing conversion. I mean, he was a bad guy. He was far away from God. He calls himself the chief of sinners when he looks back. Maybe some of you have a background like that. That's Paul. But it's not just about Paul. Paul wants to hand it off now to Timothy. Paul's about to leave this world. And Paul's good with that because death has been destroyed. Even though Nero's going to put him to death... And apparently he was executed soon after he wrote this letter. That's all right. Paul's at peace with that. Paul knows his life is held in the hands of God. And so Paul is all about giving it away to somebody else and encouraging somebody else. And so it's about Timothy. But Timothy, you can't make it all about yourself either. You've got to give it away. And you've got to give it away to reliable men, it says. Now, I've added men and women, reliable people, because, of course, this letter, this, new, this, new, this whole New Testament is written to men and women. When Paul says, dear brothers, he means dear brothers and sisters. That's the way it is in the Greek language. But I think in one sense, in 2 Timothy, Paul is specifically talking to men right now. He's talking about Timothy's relationship with other men. And of course, it will have, in the others, it will have influence that will cover everybody, all the generations, both genders, and people who are not even related to them, who live in other parts of the world. Now, why would Paul specifically do that? Because ultimately, we need a partnership between men and women to make this thing work. That is God's design. Throughout the New Testament, you have so many examples, myriad illustrations of women alongside of men serving and leading and doing amazing things. But there's this insight that I have, and I spend a lot of time in a lot of, with a lot of different churches in my larger ministry. And if you reach the women in the church or the women in the community, you may or may not get the men. But if you can reach the men, you will usually get the women too. Now, why is that? It's actually kind of an insult to men, so I don't want to prolong this agony for those of us that are of that persuasion. But men can be reclusive. And men may show up, they may even show up and go to church with their wives. 
But we also have a way of segmenting our lives and compartmentalizing, okay, and I do this because this pleases her, but the rest of my life is really about something else. If you can get to the heart of a man and reach his heart, and if he's married or if he has a family or if he has friends that are women, they will be responsive to a man whose heart comes alive. A woman whose heart comes alive may or may not reach that man who has his walls up. That's why in some places I've been, you know, women outnumber men in the church by a lot. And that's not a bad thing. It certainly isn't a criticism of the women. If anything, it's where are the, where are the guys? Timothy, pour into the hearts of these men. Convince them this grace is not a feminine experience. The church is not for women alone. That it's for these men. We need them. And they need this grace. And their families will be blessed immensely if they get a hold of this. And so Timothy, yes, reach these men. And these men will reach others. The men, the women, the children. Ultimately, that's the goal. That's what it's about. Make sure this grace happens. I had to... Uh, I had another bit of a struggle this week. You sometimes listen to me and think, boy, that guy has a lot of struggles. Um, I, I think it's a good thing because I'm just becoming more sensitive to instead of just sort of blindly walking through my life you know, on my own agenda. I'm trying to pay attention to what, what's going on out there and to what God is trying to show me and what he's trying to change in me, as painful as that can be. So... This ministry that I lead, this overall ministry called the Leadership Connection, we had a board meeting on Friday morning, and uh, something happened that was really quite unusual. One of our projects, the board members said, you know, we really don't have confidence in this project. I don't know how you feel when someone doesn't have confidence in you, someone you need to have confidence in you in your work. So how does that relate to grace and the strength that I get? And how, how does that relate? How does grace relate to my disappointments? How does grace relate to my, to my failures? I'm assuming I'm not the only one who has disappointments and failures sitting in this room today. So how does that relate? So my typical reaction, my graceless reaction, I should say, is I get angry when you disappoint me, when you don't give me the approval or the power or the prestige or whatever I'm looking for, the recognition I'm looking for, I can get angry. And that anger can stir up a kind of self-justification. And man, am I good at that. I can prove you wrong, even if you're right. I'm that good. And we're not done until you apologize for being right and daring to tell me why I'm wrong. I can, I can force the issue. I can be that aggressive. And that's really sad. It's actually a little sick. So my anger can go there, and my anger kind of, kind of rises up, and I can you know, sort of, sort of you know, get back at you and make sure that I win. You can almost be a little vengeful. Wow, nobody wants to talk to me now. Or I want to run away. If I can't fight, I, I want to run away. I want to disappear. Some of, some of us do that. You just run away. Like there is no such thing as grace anymore. So you fight, or you run away. Or even worse, a lot of us do this. We've heard it, we've faced it, and now we forget all about it and just keep going like it never happened, okay? We had this big discussion about the project. I don't really care what you think. I'm just going to keep going after it anyway. Those are graceless reactions. They're not healthy responses. They're certainly not tuned in to what God wants when he calls us to live out of the strength 
of this grace, this amazing grace of God. So, so what do you do? Well, what grace does when it's working in your life, you could write this down too if you wanted to. <clears throat> I want you to learn from my misery how to do this because this is really how it works. Because what grace does is grace gives you confidence. And so when I'm hit by something that, that, that I don't like, that feels bad or even feels threatening to me, I have to remember immediately who I am and who I belong to. I, I belong to him, and he's called me, and I'm here. That doesn't mean I've got it right. That doesn't mean my project is, is, is wonderful. It may not be at all. But I am confident. In the big picture, I am confident because he's got his arms around me. I know what he thinks of me. I know that he's caring for me. And I know that he's going to take me through this, whatever whatever that means. So I start with confidence. And then because of that, I can actually listen. I can listen to my critic. There might be something I should learn here. What do you think? There's always something you can learn. So grace, you see, strengthens me to be fully present and to listen and to learn. Wow, that's, that, would, that would be a wonderful thing. That would be miraculous all by itself if we would just listen with the defenses having gone down. The anger, I give it to God. The resentment, I choose not to go there. Okay, tell me what you think. I am hurt, I will admit that. I'm stung by this criticism. I could go into sort of a a, a meltdown if I chose to, but I'm choosing not to. I'm choosing to be here, to trust God, and to see what can be worked out here. So I'm listening. And then, because this grace is powering me, I persevere and make the improvements that I decide, that we decide I need to make. I can do that. This is actually a good thing. I'm glad you told me. When's the last time you told a critic, thank you for the criticism. Thank you for the shot out of the blue. Thank you because even though part of it might have been exaggerated, part of it might even have been wrong and incorrect, there was some truth to it. I needed to get something from that. Grace allows you to open up your heart and your mind to receive what most human beings push back on and never hear, and never learn, and never grow, and end up getting isolated from those people that could actually be helpful. And then, ultimately, the whole point is to become gracious. So I'm gracious through the whole thing. Now, was I, in fact, gracious on Friday morning during this board meeting? Uh, I let somebody else tell you. <laughs> I'm not sure that I can talk, but, but I... But I did ask God, and I guess that's the, the, the question. When, are, you, are you asking him for what you need? Are you asking him, Lord, remind me of the grace. Lord, put your arms around me again. Lord, show me in this moment. You have to almost step outside the moment that surprises you and say, Lord, okay, I didn't know this was coming. I don't like this at all. You can be totally honest with him. I want to get the heck out of here right now. But by your grace, I'm going to stay, and your grace has got to cover my wrist because I want to do what you have called me to do. I want to be mature. I want to be strong. And I want to be ultimately a blessing even to my critics who are sitting around probably worried about how I'm going to take this. What if your friends and your coworkers saw you as a person of grace that had that kind of strength? How much truth would you get from him that they're withholding right now? How much farther would you get on projects that you're working on that uh, right now get kind of prickly because there's just so much risk and so much at stake and so much tension around the corner? And what if you could continually say, Lord, pour through me the grace you've given me. And I'm going to count on you to work this out. And then Paul says at the very end, Timothy, 
You're my man. You're going to take this and you're going to share this. You're going to take it, first of all, and live it. Take this gift, this gift of God's grace. You're going to live this. As I am living this, Paul's saying, right now in prison. Talk about somebody who's enduring hardship. And man, has he got this. In fact, it almost ought to be your little mantra. When you get up in the morning and you take off, you say, got grace? Don't leave home without it. You've got to have this mindset because it is a mindset that connects you with a reality that is for you the gift that comes directly from God. He's made it all available to us. All of it. And Paul says, Timothy, reflect on this. Reflect on all of this. There's insight here for you. And I would ask you to do that this week. Take this passage, maybe even read back into chapter 1 where so much is coming from, from Paul to Timothy. Then take this passage and say, okay, what does this mean for me? What does it mean for me to take the grace of God and invest it in the lives of other people, the people around me. It means I have to get it myself, and then I get to give it away. And you will be the difference maker in your group, in your family, in your neighborhood if you take this seriously. And if you reflect on it, God will show you. That's the promise. He will show you. Will you? Will you reflect on this? Will you think about what grace really is? Will you think about how grace responds and how it doesn't react? Will you reflect on this? Will you recommit yourself to asking for it? Lord, help me in this moment. And then as soon as you get the insight, those are your marching orders. Live off of this. I'm talking to the men. I'm talking to the women. I'm talking to people who are single, people who are married, people who are... Older and people who are younger. I'm talking to all of us right now. I'm talking to myself. I've come off a week where I've experienced grace again in all of its beauty, and I've experienced the challenges to it, which come out. Grace comes from God. The challenges are inside of me. And I want God to win that battle every time. For your sake, for my sake, and for the sake of the mission of God's kingdom. Let's pray.